online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We will be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstanfor as he continues our sermon series, Making Ends Meet, a study in Ruth. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. We ended last week on a bit of a cliffhanger. Will the Redeemer redeem? What does that mean for Boaz? Will there be a wedding, and if so, between which two people? How's this going to shake out? I know this sounds a little like a last week recap on 90210, but this really happened. The bigger question is, what does the resolution say about Jesus and our following him? As you listen, there will be a temptation to get lost in the legalities Pastor Michael needs to explain. Remember the details he is covering are all attached to real people who are going through a defining moment in their lives. God used this time to help tell his story. Let's see what he has to say. We will learn in Ruth chapter 4 that God remembers those who build others up. Who are the people that are most important to you? Husband, children, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> um, parents come to mind first. I'm going to give them some honor at the end of the service today. So I'd like to start with a different story. One of the people that has meant a lot to me. Oh, gosh. I can't start crying right now. <clears throat> uh, y'all know Todd McQueen. And, you know, usually when you think about Todd, he wants to, or the tears that you want to cry aren't necessarily like happy tears. Like, sometimes the tears you cry because of Todd McQueen are like, you're hurting me. <laughs> um, but Todd McQueen, he was the pastor here uh, for four years, and now he's, he's moved on. And uh, he, was, he was a guy that stepped into my life. There could not have been more two different people in the world than he and I. And I don't have any idea why he wanted to be friends with me, but, but he stepped into my, and he wouldn't let me not be his friend. I don't know if you know that about him. He was just the kind of person that we were in class together, and, and y'all won't be surprised by this. But you're in class together, and I always sat in the back. I wore a denim jacket. I always had my black hood up, because in school, like, if you wear the denim jacket and you put your hood up, then you know people will leave you alone, especially preppy college kids. Like, they don't want to deal with the punk kid in the back. So I would go and hide in the back, and Todd would come and, like, turn his seat around, and he'd ask me questions, and I'd answer begrudgingly. And, and Todd's the kind of guy that if you gave him anything, he would run with it. So there was one day, I was like, yeah, there's this thing going on in our church, and it's kind of interesting. Um, and so the teacher would ask for prayer requests, and he'd be like, Michael wants to pray because there's this thing going on in this church, and it's like this really big deal. And, and I'm like, no, it's not a big deal. Like, I don't want to pray about it. He's like, yeah, it's a big deal. We got to pray for Michael. And like get the whole class around me. Like, thought it was the kind of guy that wouldn't let me not be his friend. Um, Y'all know that. But he was, but, and, and we continue to be friends this day. We talk regularly. He's doing really good. God's doing some cool stuff in him. But he was somebody 
who, even though he uh, made me uncomfortable most times that I was with him, he was somebody who cared more about me than he cared about myself. He cared more about what God was doing in me than he cared about what was going on with him. And there's numerous times over the years where he laid his life down first. And, and he's somebody that's really, really important to me. And so the text, the conclusion, quote unquote, the conclusion of the series that we've been going through is tying these things together. We're tying this story together. We left on a cliffhanger, Ryan was saying earlier, where um, Ruth had proposed to Boaz and he said, well, if I don't marry you, I'll make sure somebody else does. But either way, you're getting hitched soon. I'm going to take care of this matter. Um, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of, whether I marry you or whether somebody else does. And that was where we left it. We left it with Naomi and Ruth kind of, what's going on? Tell me all about it. Oh, don't you worry, honey. He's going to get you taken care of. No problem at all. So that's where we're going to pick up a little bit. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the people that you've brought into our lives that mean so much. Lord, for husbands and wives, people that lay their lives down for each other, for parents who are constantly, constantly serving their children, and for friends who step in and make life uncomfortable so that we happen to grow. Lord, I pray that our time in your word today would be edifying to us, that, Lord, you would build us up, that you would encourage us. Father, that you would challenge us, but also that we could walk away knowing that you are with us every step of the way. Lord, thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be continuing in the book of Ruth, and um, we're going to be in chapter 4, and that begins on page 181. If you'd like a Bible this morning, um, we've got these ones here. Uh, they say the story on them, and you're welcome to take that home as a gift. Um, we're going to be on page 181 of those. Ruth chapter 4. Turn or click or however you're getting there. Ruth chapter 4, I'm beginning in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell, of you, tell you of it and say, but in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Hold on, pause, 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 pause. Don't read ahead, don't read ahead. Sue, talking to you, don't read ahead. We're getting there. We'll get there. <laughs> There's a whole lot of legal stuff going on. And it starts off in the gate. Now, when we hear the gate, what we ought to think is, uh, is the courthouse. This is Ocala Courthouse. So when all of the business, all the, all the business that happened in the city, actually, for them, happened in the gate. Because everybody, whether you came in or out or whatever you were doing, everybody had to walk past the gate. So it was the kind of thing where if you're going to be there and you've got business to do, we might as well do it there. So oftentimes, elders or respectable people, the judges would sit in the gate. You can kind of imagine some benches on either side of the gate, and that is actually kind of the courthouse for the town. 
So when it says that Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, that's what he's doing. He, he knows that everybody's going on with their, with their lives, and I can go and sit in the gate, and I can get some business done. And so there's a guy that walks by, the Redeemer that he had spoken about. Now, remember, we had talked about, we're jumping in chapter 4, so uh, there's been a lot that's been going on. I'm going to try to summarize it and get us, get us there. When Ruth proposed to Boaz and said, hey, will you redeem me? Will you marry me? Will you take care of me? Will you bring me into your house? And will you, um, will you take care of me, essentially? He said, I, I would like to do that, but there's somebody who's closer in the family than I am. He knew his family tree well enough to know that there's somebody who has priority. They have rights. They've got dibs. If I'm, I want to take care of you, but this guy has legal right to go first. So that's not really like how we like to think of our rom-coms. Like she proposes marriage and they're like, oh, no, no, no. well, actually, there's another guy who could marry you first. We haven't talked about him. You probably haven't ever met him, but he could be your husband. Let's talk to him first. So Boaz goes and he sits down in the gate and this guy, this poor guy, oh my gosh, he's going to work. And I hope that he's had his cup of coffee already. He's walking into work, going out to the fields and Boaz is like, hey, 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 come over here, come over here, come over here. And he's like, What? So he goes up. He's like, what's up, Boaz? He's like, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. I've got some business to take you. Now, I don't know how you are, but with me, if somebody comes up to me, hey, I've got some business to take care of with you. Would you sit down for a moment? And then they turn around and start gathering other people to be witnesses. He gathers 10 elders to be witnesses. I'm concerned about what's about to happen. Like, did I, did I, did somebody, one of my guys steal your sheep? Like, what's going on? Are you about to sue me? What's happening here? So this guy's just walking to work and Boaz kind of tackles him and says, come on, we're going to go do something. And he goes. And they go and they sit down in the gate and, and Boaz says, all right, hey, 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 all right, okay, here's why we're here. Here's why we're here. I thought you should know that Naomi is back from Moab. This is a small town, remember, everybody knows everybody's business. Naomi's back from Moab, and, and she still has her husband's farm. She has rights to her husband's farm, Elimelech. This is the first that we've ever heard of it in the story, but, but this is where Boaz is explaining what's been going on. I want you to know that this farm is available because Naomi can't work it legally. She can't actually run the farm because she doesn't have a male heir. Like, legally, she's stuck. She's got this property she can't do anything with, so she's going to have to get rid of it. Would you like it? Well, yeah, yeah, I take another square and I, I could work that. You know, we've, you know, we're coming to the end of the season, but, but we can get it next season. We'll get everything prepped up. I'll hire a couple of extra guys and we'll make, yeah, yeah, I could take care of that farm for you. So, but we know that this is like the whole romantic comedy of what's been going on is in jeopardy. Like this guy's just said, oh, yeah, I'll take care of that estate for you. And we know that, that Ruth is in there. So is, are Ruth and Boaz going to get together now? Like this is, he said that he would do it. He said that he's going to take care of this legal responsibility. Now we can read some more. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I, <laughs> I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So what happened? Is this really kind of interesting thing, remember, because we just read in Deuteronomy that if, if, if there's a widow and there's property, that, that, that the brother has to marry the widow. But Ruth, like, 
we're talking Naomi. Naomi's the widow of Elimelech. She's the one who has the rights to the land. So shouldn't the Redeemer be marrying Naomi? But Boaz has framed this in such a way that he says, well, yeah, yeah you'll get the right, but, but Naomi can't bear children anymore, and so you can take her maid, you can take her daughter-in-law and raise up children for Elimelech, whom she wasn't married to, because that will, do you see the legal nitpickings of how this could work, like, aren't clear. The, the rights of who was supposed to do what isn't clear, and Boaz frames this in such a way that the guy has to think about what's about to happen. It's not just that he gets the rights to uh, the land. It's not just that he owns more property and gets to work it, but now he also has to raise up children for Elimelech, which was the whole point of redemption. It was, one, to keep the land and the family, and also to make sure that when somebody dies, their name isn't erased from history forever, because they didn't have the internet where everything goes to live forever. They have dirt, and many of them can't write. They're doing their business at the gate. It's all verbal agreements, right? So, Boaz says, hey, by the way, when you take this land, you're also going to get Naomi, and you're going to be responsible for raising up kids for Elimelech through, or through Ruth. Excuse me. You'll also get Ruth, and you'll be responsible for raising up kids for Elimelech through Ruth. And he says, I can't do that. That's going to mess up my inheritance. My kids have inheritance, and if I raise up another firstborn for this guy, then when it comes time to divide everything up, like, uh, that's going to make everything sticky. No, no, Boaz, uh, no, Boaz, you take care of it. Boaz, you, I, I don't know, that's going to cost me something. It's, it's the, no, maybe not. So let's see what happens. Chapter, or chapter 4, verse 7. There's a note of explanation here. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, he drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So that's the note of explanation. So in verse 8, here's what actually happened. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he, Boaz, drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that also, or that belonged to Chilion and Mahlon, which were Elimelech's sons, remember? Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. I'm going to read just the rest of that paragraph. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So, what happens next is Boaz takes his shoe off. So when, we, when, he, when he's taking his shoe off, we're like, okay, that's weird. Why would you do that? And I don't know that this is where the walk a mile in somebody's shoe comes from. I think that that's a Roman thing that comes up later. But it's a similar kind of idea. If you're going to have a legal transaction where there are no written contracts, then you've got to give some kind of an exchange, right? And so Boaz says, all right, that guy, he's sitting down. He's bowing out of the deal. I'm taking my sandal off. 
I'm, making, I'm giving it to, to the elders. I'm going to make an exchange. He's taking his sandal off. Whose sandal do you think that he's symbolically going to put on? Ruth's, okay. Who has legal ownership of the land? And who actually, count, not counts, that's terrible. Elimelech, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Who has legal right to actually own it is Elimelech. So Boaz takes off his sandal, and he figuratively says, I will take on Elimelech's sandal. This guy's been dead for years. They went off into, into the country, and his sons died, and now all that's left is his widow and his son's widow, Ruth. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off my reputation, the places where I've been, everything that I hold, I'm going to give that to Elimelech, and I will take on his name. I'm literally going to be walking in his shoe from now on. I will lay down my name, and I will take on legal responsibility for his whole family, and all of my children will be called sons of Elimelech, not sons of Boaz, which is a big deal. It's, it's a similar kind of procedure. I'm glad you said that, but it's a similar kind of thing where he's taken legal responsibility for something that wasn't his, but instead of adopting a child in and the child taking your last name, you adopt the child in, you adopt the family in, and you take their last name. I will raise up their name, not mine. Does that, that make sense? A little bit different. It's going to matter. I know we've done a whole bunch of legal stuff, and it's like, uh, and I have trouble, and, and Sue's eating it up. She loves this. But, uh, but there's a point. Like, we're going to get to, like, this is, there's a lot of details. Don't get lost in the details, because this is, this is important. Okay? We're going to get there. Um, so then all of the community, all the elders that are there said, hey, what's happening is really, really awesome. May you be blessed. May, may you have tons and tons of kids. Because he talks about Rachel and Leah between them and their, their, their maids. There were 12 kids. Like everything that they're saying is based on your family history, the way that God has blessed you in the past because you are taking on this. Like continue to be blessed. May God bless you. The community surrounds them and says, this is great. We're glad you're doing this. We support you. May you be blessed. Right? So that's the end of the courtroom scene. Now we see what happens next. Let's look in verse 13. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the, woman said, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. I'm going to stop there. So, at the end of all of this, Ruth is taken care of. Ruth comes into Boaz's family, and they have a son together. And it's so interesting to me that this is Ruth's son, and yet the women bless Naomi. It's almost, and I, I know some grandparents are like this. My grandparents, or not my grandparents, my parents are not like this to my kids. But I know some grandparents that are like so into their grandkids like that the, they essentially belong to them. Not that they do, but that they, so Naomi is so excited that now she has a child, or now that she has a grandchild, that now she's spending so much time with the child, the ladies in the village are saying, blessed be Naomi who has a son now. And they name him Obed. 
And that doesn't mean anything to us, but to them, they would understand that Obed means worshiper. So this woman, Naomi, whose name means pleasant, who went away full with a family with two sick sons, remember what their names were? Wasting and puny. They're not doing too hot. They go and they get some wives, and then Ruth is the one who comes back. Ruth's name, who means friend, she comes back. And then Boaz steps in. His name means in him there is strength. Boaz steps in and takes her friend, Naomi's friend. And when Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore, I'm not pleasant, we know, but I'm not pleasant, I'm bitter. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. And now, by the way, did you notice nobody ever called her Mara in the whole story? Like, okay, whatever. But now Naomi, who wanted to be called bitter, now has a son called Worshipper. We see, we see this bitter heart at the beginning in chapter 1. That's why we spent so much time in chapter 1. This bitter heart, this woman who had every reason to be angry. Now her heart has changed. A drop of hope and good friendship has brought her to this place where now she has hope for the future. And not, is she, not only is she pleasant, but she's worshiping. We'll get into that more next week. I actually extended this series another week because that's such a big deal. So we're going to get into that. So, but, but Naomi is taken care of. Ruth is taken care of. Um, and where, she, where Naomi went away with two sick sons, she, came, she comes back with one daughter who was better than seven sons. Remember, bitterness causes us to minimize the help that God has already sent. At the beginning in chapter one, Naomi didn't realize that the one little girl that was tagging her along that she couldn't shake off was better than seven sons because of all the work that she was willing to put in to take care of her. And Boaz builds Elimelech's name. Elimelech means, my God is king. I think that that's so funny. If you're going to be known for something, at least be known for building the name and the reputation of the one true king. And Boaz takes on Ruth. He takes on a ton more responsibility. He lays down his chances of having children in his name, and he has children in the name of Elimelech. Let me ask you one one question to think about. What was the name of the other potential redeemer? God remembers those who build others up. The man came in and, and he had the privilege, he had the first right to step into Ruth's life and to take care of her, to raise up children for Elimelech. And he said, no, 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 that's going to mess up my inheritance. That's going to mess up things for my family. I can't, I can't do that. That's going to be too hard. It's going to cost me too much. But in the eternal text of Scripture, we don't know that guy's name. He spent his whole life trying to build up his name, and he's forgotten. But the names that we have are the names of those who built others up. In every genealogy from here on out, it's not actually Elimelech's name that ends up in the genealogy. They still refer back to Boaz. Legally, he had laid down his right Legally, the way everything had played out, Boaz was never going to have a legal child. They were all going to be Elimelechs, but when you have historical records from here on out, they will always point back to Boaz, not Elimelech, even though the legal truth was different. 
And Ruth, gosh, Ruth, she steps into Naomi's life, this bitter, Naomi was this bitter, bitter woman who didn't want anything to do. Like she thought that God had abandoned her. And Ruth comes in and says, come on, just, just let me go and glean in the fields. I don't know much, but I know that I've left all of my old life behind. But let me go glean and, and we'll take care of it and we'll help. Let me make ends meet. Just let me go and work for you. And Naomi just said, fine. And even here, Naomi now is building up another. Where she had invested in her first family, now she takes on Obed and raises him as her own. Because God remembers those who build others up. And this isn't just here. I mean, it's a, it's a biblical concept. Actually, Tamar, who's mentioned in, in the genealogy and the blessing beforehand, Tamar has a very similar story to what's happening here. In Genesis 38, if you're interested, um, Jesus in Mark, and actually in most of the Gospels, says, whoever lays down his life for another actually gains it. And that's the reason why we've been reading 2 Corinthians over the last couple of weeks. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is the same idea. I'm suffering now, I'm suffering now, but I'm suffering now so that I can build up the name of another. It's a biblical concept. It's all throughout here that God remembers those who build others up. So a couple of questions for us this morning, Grace. Is your commitment to following Jesus legally binding? I'm going to take a minute to explain what I mean and, and why I'm asking the question. There's a sense in which we can come and we can have our personal faith and we can play church on Sunday morning and it cannot affect the rest of our life. And there's a sense in which we can come to a, a level of commitment where we say, yes, like I'm going to, this church thing, this Jesus thing, this following Jesus thing is actually going to change my life. It's going to change my relationship. It's going to change how I treat other people. But there's a whole, there's another whole level where we say, I will be legally responsible because of my faith. Where I will step into a secular courtroom and I will lay my faith down and say, like, I'll take on legal responsibility. Secular people will be able to hold me accountable for the decision that I made for my faith. <clears throat> kind of far-fetched version of this, like if the day comes where the, where the government demands that we register our, our religion and starts outlawing religions and stuff like that, at some point you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to identify with Jesus? But that's kind of far off. It hasn't happened here. I'm hopeful that it isn't going to, but it happens in other countries. That's a real question that other believers have to deal with. I want you to be aware. But the other thing, and I'm so glad that you brought it up, there's another component of that is adoption. Like, being, like putting out, oh man, putting out time and putting out money to adopt other children into your family. Like the church, we as the body of Christ ought to be advocates for people who adopt other people's kids. Like that's... Such an illustration of the gospel that it's used over and over in the New Testament to, to demonstrate the love that God has for us. And that's a legally binding commitment. So Grace Church, if you were to stand in the court of law, stand in the gate of the city, and we're on trial for something related to your faith, the first question I would ask is, is there enough evidence to convict you? But two, would you be willing to be legally bound to what Christ has done for you and your commitment to follow him. And the second question is, will you serve a name other than your own? Because God remembers those who build others up. 
We can get so focused, and I, I get this. This is why we started this series where we did. We can get so focused on making ends meet, trying to pay the bills, just trying to survive another week, just trying to make sure that we get all of the things done because we're running in 3,000 different directions and there's so many different people that have demands on our time that we just don't know how we're going to handle it all. I get it. But will you serve a name other than your own? Will you step back and say, maybe I have too much going on. I need to lay some of these other things down so that I can really invest in another person. That I can step into their life and have time to sit and weep with them in their bitterness. And beyond that, we are called to serve a name other than our own. The greatest name that is, the name of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us that we might take on his name. I'd like to close with his words in Mark chapter 8. And we'll take a few minutes and reflect on these questions and how God's moving this morning. I'd invite you to write down some thoughts on your connection card so that we can pray with you through the week and leave those in the basket in the entryway. I'd like to read this, Jesus' words, before we take a few minutes in prayer. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God in His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.